Hello everyone, it's G3 and welcome to Green Marbles. This week, you can get your kicks on episode 66 with Lundy Wright, Weiss's very own Bond Sage, who had plenty to say about Wednesday's FOMC meeting, Chairman Powell's subsequent press conference, and the Fed's strategy, which Lundy likens to a controlled burn of a forest fire. So please, pardon my voice, and check disclosures at the end of the episode, and also buckle your seatbelt, because Lundy doesn't mince words concerning his take on what transpired. And with that, welcome. We are recording, Lundy. Fed day. Great to have you with us. Thank you. Great to be here. There is a lot to discuss. What a Fed day. I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to start off with this because I always start off with this question when we talk on Fed day, Lundy. Did Powell do or say anything today that was unexpected from your perspective? They came out with a statement that was perfect in terms of the way you would have imagined a statement could be written where the Fed would tighten and the markets would not have an adverse reaction as a result. Then came the press conference. And remember, there were no new economic forecasts to lean on or dots to interpret. So then we got to the press conference, and it was moving along pretty much as expected. And Powell was basically checking off the boxes of the hawkish things that markets were expecting him to say. And then he had to answer the financial conditions index question yet again. And so financial conditions, everyone has a slightly different formula for it, but it's basically short-term rates, credit spreads, asset prices in general, and the dollar. And it's basically how are they restricting growth or tightening growth? And so higher rates lower stock prices, a stronger dollar is restrictive, and the opposite is an easier environment where it is actually supportive of economic growth. So what you're basically saying is even though the FOMC raised rates by 25 basis points, the press conference was an easing. Absolutely. According to the Chicago Fed's Financial Conditions Index, Since last March, when the Fed started to tighten, their financial conditions index is now unchanged. So according to financial conditions, all that tightening has done nothing to tighten the financial conditions. So they've tightened 450 basis points or whatever the number is now. And yet financial conditions are unchanged, according to the Chicago Fed. So here we are. He's been asked this question repeatedly at Jackson Hole last summer. He gave a very hawkish response and a pushback, and the markets reacted negatively, as you would imagine. Since then, he's been asked the question virtually every time he has spoken, but at the FOMC meetings as well. And he keeps answering it the same way, which the markets are surprised by repeatedly. And at some point, you have to say, it's not a surprise. It's intentional. Why does he keep on fumbling what the expected response would be, which is what was defined at Jackson Hole. And now after he tightens, after they raise rates, he comes in 
with an answer to the financial conditions. What do you think about financial conditions easing? And he basically said, well, it's tighter year over year, but it's eased dramatically in the past six months. He's not answering the question deliberately. But Lundy explained something to me because the whole basis of Powell since he got religion was that he was going to keep his boot on the neck of the economy because if you ease up the pressure too soon, you'll get a a resurgence of inflation again. And he is going to be vigilant until the job is done. He said exactly that today. He said that, but then he mentions the word deflationary forces 10 times, which obviously is going to undermine that, no? Absolutely. Absolutely. How could that have been a surprise or an accident or unintentional? And so at some point, you have to sit there and say, what is his game? What is he trying to do? Now, we know a month ago or so, he had a speech in Europe with other central bankers where he had a very forceful speech about how critical Fed independence was, how they will not take pressure from politicians. Now, all politicians have pressured the Fed throughout eternity. But right before the last elections, there were a whole slew of politicians who came out attempting to pressure the Fed from tightening anymore. That's one. Two, there's been in the press how there's, you know, there's factions within the Fed, and it is Powell's Fed, but there's factions that are more hawkish, more dovish. And of course, like everything in our world today, it becomes politicized and they, you know, presume to take sides as well. But there is a hawk side and a dove side. And I think it's too simple to say that it's political because it's not. But within that faction, I think he's probably concerned that if he forces the FOMC to a statement that he wants or an action that he wants, he might get dissents, which is red meat for politicians to jump in and then try to cleave the Fed is what I imagine. Because it's a somewhat nuanced stance to go in and tighten and then, or in the press conference, make statements that results in what is an effective ease. And he's done it repeatedly now. But what's so interesting about that, though, Lundy, is Powell knows that potentially being unpopular and getting criticized by politicians comes with the territory of the job. And in theory, even if politicians rant against him and question his his wisdom and the like, it doesn't matter. It's not the political appointment and he's already been reappointed. So why does he care? That's why I'm saying I think it's a nuanced thing to try to keep the FOMC on one page together. But Honestly, I am just guessing. I can't square why he keeps doing this because he's a very intelligent guy. He's been at this job long enough. You can't say, oh, it's a rookie mistake. You know, almost every Fed chair in their first six months of the job fumbles and steps into potholes and such where they, you know, they get heavily criticized for not controlling the message. He's been at this a long time. He knows how to control the message. Why does he keep on doing that? Is he looking at the tenor of the bond market right now and saying to himself, maybe the bond market is telling me something? The bond market was telling you nothing until he came out with the FCI comment. So one, he absolutely looks at markets. Of course he does. 
you can't say you're following financial conditions as part of your dashboard to help you make decisions without looking at markets. Two, they look at reactions to see how the reactions come out to their statements. And they speak so frequently now, reactions are tested along the way, if you will, because there's how many Fed speakers every day. So it's pretty easy for them to model. We say this, we get this. And in fact, these speeches have become a very much of a organized checklist of you have to say these five things or the market will react. And you can predict precisely what these five things are almost every time they speak now. And so here it is. You know the five things. He's been at it a long time. He just tightened. The statement resulted in no market action at all. And in the press conference, he fumbles. Was it really a fumble? Well, well, let me ask you, and what I was trying to get at with that last question is, do you think there's a possibility that Powell believes we are headed into a recession as the impact of these rate cuts start to get felt through the economy and therefore he needs to ease up a bit because he sees what's going to happen maybe even before the market fully does? I'm guessing he fears that that could happen, but I don't think he thinks it's going to happen. He claims his base case is we won't have a recession. Well, that's what he's saying. Yeah, I mean, I think the Fed has a responsibility to be optimistic. The Fed has a very hard time coming out and looking, you know, into the camera and saying, America, you're going to have a really hard run. But he then says, but I don't believe there'll be a recession. So perhaps he thinks he is able to nuance this and, you know, land the plane. It's difficult to explain. But what I think they want to do in the bigger picture is last year, the mission was to put out the fire, the fire of inflation. Okay, We can all say that they did, they didn't. They certainly made a lot of progress in doing it. Is it over? This year, I think they're focused on having what I'm calling a controlled burn to prevent the embers of inflation from reigniting and spreading. And so that controlled burn is them tightening a little bit more, them slowing the pace, but not stopping, them keeping the pressure since there are eases built into the market by the end of 2024, say 200 basis points, of them keeping the pressure on without a formal guidance of saying, this is my word, we're not going to ease, but them keeping the pressure on of them keeping rates high and effectively choking out inflation over time but never making the firm statement and putting themselves into a box where then six months from now, you know, inflation's down, unemployment's up, but you said this. And then they say, well, we have to change. And they get criticized for change. So he's working exceptionally hard, I think, to not put himself into a box. Maybe, but if I had to guess, if I could look at the bubbles in your thinking on top of your brain, you may have a little bit more questions over Powell's credibility today than you did yesterday. Definitely. Because I'm trying to figure out what's the strategy. Why does he keep making the same thing, doing the same mistake in quotes, if it was really considered to be a mistake? It's too intentional to be a mistake. Right. It's too intentional. So based upon that, when Powell says, we are not going to stop until we reach the 2% target, 
How are you thinking about that today vis-a-vis yesterday? He's working against himself. In, in a way, he's sort of assuring that just use 5% as where they stop tightening as an example. He's assuring he stays at 5% longer. And so because he is actually stimulating the markets, the economy, via the financial conditions index by saying what he's saying, because he is getting lower rates, higher asset prices, and lower vol as a result of his statement in the press conference. So you're saying that by being dovish, he actually... (laughs) <laughs> Let me see if I can get the logic of this right. By being dovish, he's not going to drive inflation back to the 2%, thereby ultimately leading to higher rates for longer when the market gets disappointed that we're not at 2%. Yes. That's very meta. I, and I think he might think it, it might be, you know, it might be too complicated or too crazy to sort of imagine that that's what's underway. But I think that right now assets are overvalued. It's common knowledge that people say that home prices are expensive as they've ever been. They're overvalued, so people aren't buying homes. It's known that M&A has slowed because companies are overvalued. It's known that car leases aren't getting flipped because it's too expensive. Cars are too overvalued to buy at the new lease rates. In other words, lower rates back down to where current asset prices are affordable or asset prices have to go down. And it's probably meet somewhere in the middle over time. What Powell does not want is a crash. He doesn't want to jam this and have assets drop. He doesn't want to have high unemployment. He is trying to find a middle ground, a longer timeline, a fuse that is somehow acceptable. And so why people don't think financial assets are overvalued when they think all the other assets are overvalued is beyond me. But he doesn't want assets to drop, but he doesn't want them to boom either. And the challenge is, regardless of what he wants, he knows when he says certain things, the market is going to take them in a certain way. Absolutely. And then a week from now, we're still at, say, 5%. Two weeks from now, we're at 5%. Two months from now, we're at five and a quarter. And then when I say choke out the market, eases are priced in. And if he's gotten rates to a level with some tailwind from financial conditions, the financial conditions easing is actually a tailwind of growth, right? It is supportive of growth. It is supportive of inflation for that matter. But then with the eases that are already priced in the market, if he just holds ground, He is literally through negative carry, through the fact that he is no longer tightening, but he's not easing, very slowly, choking out excess. And that is when you should start to get some assets declining. And so that's this year, but not for a few months. But he plans, you know, he said, there's only a couple more tightenings. Like, come on, guys. You know, it was so funny when he said it. I mean... That's funny for me, but it was still funny. I think that's game plan because nothing else really makes sense to me. In terms of the Powell legacy, we talked about legacy a lot. Oh, he's, you know, his legacy is to keep rates high and cause pain. Like you said, is that his legacy? I mean, 
he is tightening more. He is then verbally forcing an effective ease at the same time. What is the purpose? And I think that if you want to give yourself a longer runway of having conflicting pressures of some of forcing a slower economic situation with tightening, some supportive of a longer economic growth situation with financial condition easing, he is trying to find a middle ground there. And so that's what I think he's doing. It is fascinating. You know, I've, I've watching headlines this afternoon, some of which were entitled Powell's War on Inflation. And I think to myself, when you're a leader, you know, waging a war, you don't speak in subtleties. Those get lost and the enemy understands hedging and bobbing and weaving in subtleties and takes advantage of that. Well said, because that is precisely how the market is reacting. He opened the door for them, you know, for him to say, well, Financial conditions are much tighter over the course of the year when they've actually eased so dramatically in the last six months or so. And I'm not sure how many times he can get away with the same game. It certainly worked for a few times. On that note, Lundy, let me ask you, let's say over the course of the next week, Powell ultimately comes to believe that he made a mistake in the press conference by leading the markets to a more ebullient position than they ought to be. How would Powell most likely go about undoing the press conference? Well, the thing is, when he's in the press conference, he's representing the FOMC. He is not charged with going out there and saying, look, this is what I think. He is charged with going out there and trying to represent what the committee agreed to. Now, He can be a very strong hand and say the committee agreed to exactly what I think and what I said, you know, or else. And over the course of history, you have dissents when people don't have don't agree. So for him to come out and say something at the FOMC, that's one thing. He can then two weeks from now, say, just have a speech where he once again is more hawkish. And in his more hawkish speech, people will say, oh, Powell's hawkish. But there's a lot of doves on the fence. Any other possibilities? Does he give a timorous leak? Is there any other way in which he could convey that message other than a formal speech? I think like if a leak came out from Timoreos tonight, tomorrow, that was Fed sourced, Fed officials are highly placed Fed officials or however you would characterize it. Then you would maybe think He went home and he's like, man, I really blew that press conference. That was not the result I wanted. That was not the result we agreed to. And he's trying to correct it right away. Otherwise, he should say it directly to the public. Because if, say, Waller and Bullard, who've been hawks, come out and say hawkish things in the next week, and then Brainerd and Daly come out, who've been doves, say dovish things. Honestly, it's just sort of like the same old chatter. So I think... If he really thinks it was a mistake, he has to go back out and then speak on his own behalf, not on behalf of the FOMC, and clear the air. Got it. Okay. Well, look, unvarnished wise words as always from you, Lundy. Any final comments after what was clearly a a memorable Fed day? The narrative that played out with higher stocks, lower bond yields, weaker dollar is the narrative that most people 
want anyway. And so, yes, there are people who are out there saying lower stocks or higher yields, but that narrative of return to a lower yield environment with a higher stock valuation environment because inflation is falling off. That is the narrative that I would say the mass wants. And that narrative is alive and well after today. And that narrative is not going away. Lundy Wright, thanks for coming on on Fed Day. Appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. Always thanks so much for having me and uh, talk to you soon. All the best. This podcast should not be reproduced, copied, distributed, or published in whole or in part. This podcast is presented for informational purposes only. The views expressed herein are subject to change without notice. Information in this podcast is based on data regarding current market conditions from sources believed to be reliable. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, legal, tax, or other advice and should not be viewed as a recommendation to purchase or sell any securities or adopt any investment strategy. You should consult your own advisors regarding business, legal, tax, or other matters concerning investment. Any health-related information shared on this podcast is not intended as medical advice or for use in self-diagnosis or treatment. Please consult a qualified healthcare professional before acting upon any health-related information on this podcast. Please review related show notes for this podcast and visit www.gweiss.com to review related disclosures and learn more about Weiss.